I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This program was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. Phone-in elements of these shows are not available, but if you'd like to comment or give us feedback on our shows, you can tweet us at Love Sport Radio. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Alternatively, you can find this and other podcasts on iTunes or Spotify using the keyword LoveSport. Good evening, you are listening to Love Sport Radio. It's me, Joe Forrester, here with you until 11pm. Tonight is the night when the fans have their say, because of course Love Sport is your station giving fans a voice. Every night from 7pm, we put your club in focus. Tonight it's the turn of Chelsea, just heard those boys. Leeds coming up now, Cardiff, Brighton, Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield. The fan shows on Love Sport. We've got your team covered with Churchill Business Insurance. Take the stress out of managing your van insurance with Churchill. Our comprehensive policies offer you peace of mind, 24 accident, uh, 24 hour accident recovery, 500 pound cover for loss or damaged audio equipment, plus guaranteed repairs for five years. Visit the van page at churchill.com. Yep, it is now time for the Leeds fan show. And as I was saying, no team has been more central in the promotion, relegation, what's going to happen, fallout and the controversy uh, generated by the coronavirus surrounding football. Um, Leeds United in questions about whether themselves or West Brom would be automatically promoted, whether promotion would be frozen to the Premier League next year. What does that mean for the teams in the playoff? Because, of course, no guarantee that either side are going to finish in automatic promotion places. Well, of course, we now know that championship clubs are unanimously behind trying to complete the season despite the coronavirus outbreak. So we know that the season will get completed. The big question remains, though, when will the season be back underway? Uh, The rulings from the Football League and from the Premier League indeed have stated that the ban could go on indefinitely. Football currently suspended until April the 30th, but they will finish the season no matter what comes. Of course, that starts to be slightly problematic should the season not get underway again till September, October. Uh, Leeds with nine games left to play, or nine games left to play in the Premier League, sorry, I should say about 12, 13 games left to play in the Championship. What does that mean for Leeds United? Obviously, that's going to affect uh, a promotion run in so much fallout, of course, from this virus, which is affecting every facet of life, uh, football included. Here with me on the Leeds Fan Show this evening, John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Good evening, John. Hey, Joe, how are you? Pretty good, thank you, John. Pretty good. Thank you for being with us this evening. Um, really uh, topsy-turvy time, chaotic time for everybody, I'm sure, as I said, it impacting every element of life and and that includes football. We do now know that football is going to be suspended in the UK until the 30th of April at the very least. 
But we do also know because of the ruling from the EFL and from the Premier League that the season will be completed. Does that provide you any comfort knowing that Leeds will, even if it's, I mean, in four or five months' time, still get to carry on this promotion tilt? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a sensitive topic, obviously. There's a lot of uh, problems for people all around the world and tragedy happening in Italy at the moment. Mm. So it seems a hard topic to really talk about, to think about, well, when should we get the, the, football, the football season going again? Uh, at this point, it would just be nice to see life returning back to normality, wouldn't it? But yeah. I think, yeah, I think a lot of my Leeds fans, supporting friends, have, have been quite um, comforted by the fact that the season is going to finish and the, the first 75% of the season that we've just had hasn't gone to waste. Uh, I think that's that's true, obviously, and, and it would be good to see Leeds going into the, the Premier League. But there's still lots of questions that need to be answered and remain unanswered. And um, some of which will be what will the state of the team look like by the time things eventually come around to, to happening again? What's going to happen? What's, going to, what's the footballing pyramid going to even look like? It could be the case that we come back and, and teams have dropped out, uh, unable to pay their uh, players and their staff. And we could, we could see a really um, raggedy um, footballing pyramid at the end of that as well. So this, it's going to be a brave new world when we come back to, to football. And um, whilst it would be great to see Leeds promoted, um, I guess we'll need to know a little bit more about what everything's going to look like by the time it actually happens. Yeah, you mentioned the what the team's going to look like. Now, obviously, it's a problem that's facing all football clubs. Now, most uh, player contracts and staff contracts, indeed, are up for renewal on the 30th of June. That's the cycle that that football follows. Now, of course, that's because it's slap bang in between the seasons. Um, as things stand, if football gets underway in June, then there's a chance that Leeds and dozens of other clubs might have players sold from underneath them once it goes past the 30th of June for that run-in. Or if we start again even later, say August or September, the Leeds team that are preparing for that run-in of the last few games might have dramatically different personnel. Also, how do you sign players if you don't know whether it's going to be for a Premier League season or a, a championship season? It raises so many conundrums, doesn't it, John? It does, and there's even questions that haven't really been raised yet, which is things like we've seen a lot of footballers coming down with this virus, and we don't know what the long-term implications on their health are going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're seeing people who are developing respiratory conditions who whose lungs are basically taking a beating while this virus goes through them. And, um, you know, we could come back in six, 12 months' time with a huge amount of players who just aren't able to play the game anymore as well. So there's there's so many questions that are raised by it. We Like you said, you've mentioned the contracts. Um, we don't we don't know what's going to happen with with these sort of extensions that are being touted. Um, we don't know if players are going to stick around, um, if players are going to want to move on to other clubs, um, or already had I guess clubs eyeing them up for when their contracts ran out. So uh, again, we don't we don't really know what the the business side of things is going to look like there. But it's, there's just so many questions I think that are raised that it's very hard to talk within it in any sort of concrete sense until mm. we really know exactly when the end is is in sight and and I guess at that point you sit back and say well where do we go from here you mentioned the potential long-term health implications for players and the respiratory the impact on respiratory mm. systems of players and certainly that's something that a feature of the virus that that we are aware of I suppose clubs would then find themselves in a situation where if players were unable to compete at the previous level because it was too physically exerting then clubs would be forced to I suppose buy out player contracts. Um, it's not. It's, not it's, a, it's an unprecedented situation. A where a whole group of people are potentially facing dramatic changes in their fitness and their their cardiovascular capabilities. Um, there's also so many issues around sponsorship. Do do leads from a commercial point of view go out and hunt for sponsors? And when I say sponsors, it doesn't mean the name on the shirt clubs have dozens of different sponsors in dozens of different markets they're looking for sponsors for the premier league how much money they're asking for what markets are they targeting so many things to think about um there's also an uh, a an idea being touted that once football does get underway that in order to uh, mitigate some of the risk it might be played behind closed doors um i've watched a few closed doors games uh, particularly in the last round of champions league fixtures which does seem like quite a long time ago and I really didn't enjoy it as much. It was a very odd experience. Um, what are your thoughts, John, on the potential of an empty Ellen Road with a match going on? Yeah, look, 
it, we're in a funny world, aren't we, where, where the, the business of football has become so important that, that it's almost turned the, the logical order of things upside down. Um, obviously, when football developed, it was originally a, a sort of form of escapism for fans. Um, and that was it. There was there was no money in it. It was something that was done purely for the enjoyment, purely for the ability to for people to get out of their lives. And and many of those people were were people who were working class people for whom it was the sort of highlight of their week. Mm. Um, and we've now sort of got all of these accoutrements of, of financialization just hanging off the game. And um, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously the game still functions as a as a means of entertainment for the fans. Uh, when you take those fans away and you leave it and you're playing those games simply to get through the season because clubs have to um, continue with the obligations and legal and financial obligations that they've signed up to each season, it does start looking pretty empty and it does start feel as, feeling as though uh, actually this is just some uh, some long rig, rigmarole, some long merry-go-round machinery system that um, has been set in place by by people who want to make a lot of money, and it and it really has lost that element to it. So I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of playing games behind closed doors because if the fans can't watch the game, then what's what's the point of the game? And mm. you know, even even if the money is important, the money is only there because of the fans. There's something that Marcelo Bielsa always talks about. He he says, yeah, the game has become about money, um, and we have to make that therefore a, we have to make it therefore a results driven business but the only reason why the, the results matter is because at the end of the day the fans are coming and and therefore the, the these clubs have a, a sort of heightened significance in the world so it's it, yeah i'm not very comfortable with the idea of of an mtl and road i would like to see the fans there i would like to see them enjoying the game and i i, I don't really know what you do about that if, if given that we're in this situation where money has become so important there's there's been a lot of past pros actually talking in in the last week and to be fair to them <clears throat> They all pretty much to to a person have said that it's absolutely pointless without the fans. It's not the same experience for a player on the pitch as well, um, particularly for a home game. Um, it might be a case, I suppose, of getting this season over and done with as quickly as possible. Uh, maybe playing two, three games a week. Actually, I know something which is not alien to a team in the Championship, but many Premier League teams might mm. struggle. Um, there's obviously going to be issues as well with general fitness when these players do get back to it because as much as we've seen I don't know uh, Dries Mertens doing squats holding a wine bottle and uh, Paul Pogba playing in his mini basketball court come football pitch in his house it's not the same as intense team training so they are going to be well off the pace when they start playing again aren't they? Yeah you would think so I mean I know Marcelo Bielsa has had his players in as though nothing's changed at the moment and They've been playing against each other in 11-11 football and uh, one of the big sessions they do every week is called Murder Ball where they, they really go at each other in terms of the fitness stuff. Um, but match fitness is match fitness. match fitness. Match fitness comes from actually being in those competitive environments where you get one shot to do everything. It's not um, You don't have that sort of the mental relaxation of being able to say, well, this isn't a game that counts. And you just can't really reproduce that anywhere. Um, so a, a big break, it will be like having the summer break in the middle of the season then coming back and, and seeing where people are at. Um, I, I think as well the pre-seasons will be affected in the following season as well mm. because there's obviously not going to be able to be the um, the large gap between the, the seasons that we have at the moment. So it will be quite interesting to see how this impacts people from uh, players from a, from a fitness position as well. And I mean, there's another angle to this, which is there's going to be a whole generation of young players. I mean, all the way through um, the, the football footballing leagues and all the way down to youth level and down to very young levels where these players just aren't getting the development they need at very key parts of their careers. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see gaps in the, I think, in the in the development systems where if you look through um, past years, you will be able to say, well, this is the class of 92, this is the class of 93. And there's going to be, a, there's going to be one of those generations that is probably just missing because they've not had the chance to play uh, football at a point where it was really important for them to play. Yeah, so many repercussions. Uh, Leeds fans want to hear from you at Love Sport Radio or give us a ring 0208 70 20 558. It's the Leeds Fan Show. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. Leeds fans want to hear from you tonight. It's your chance to have your say at Love Sport Radio. Give us a ring or send us a WhatsApp message 0208 70 20 558. Me, Joe Forrester here with uh, John McKenzie. Now, John, you caught up with uh, Manuel Veth from Transfer Marked. Uh, tell us why you wanted to talk to Manuel. 
So I worked for a, a podcast called Football Today, and we yeah, yeah. do a sort of daily news uh, football podcast, which takes a story from the news and goes a little bit beneath the surface, gives a bit more context of what's going on. So we, we really wanted to talk about the impacts of coronavirus on, on the business side of football. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've just talked about now. So it was great to talk to a, a, an expert from the industry about those things. So that's what we, we've got uh, 15 minutes of audio here from that conversation. Absolutely, yeah. So anyone who knows uh, or works in football and likes to analyse the one more intricate statistical and financial side, as John said, will know all about transfer marked. Here's when John caught up with Manuel Veth. First and foremost, we have done what everyone else has been doing, and that's coronavirus reporting, right? Manuel Vett is area manager of the USA for Transfermarkt and covers the Bundesliga for Forbes. This is something that's impacted every single person and it's impacted the player market just like everything else. So, you know, we, we run basically the, the news that um, which leagues are suspended and which clubs have suspended. And we have also have like a running order on players that get the virus. At the same time, I think this is kind of like an off-season, so the transfer market has heated up in some ways um, so I think our job hasn't changed that much I think just the stories have changed a little bit if that makes sense There's so many consequences on the financial side of football it seems hard to know even where to begin but let's start with the macro level question so this pandemic is intrinsically connected to the economy we know that football has become financialized in recent decades so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what knock-ons the current economic crisis will have on football clubs yeah I think the biggest problem for football clubs is that they very much live in the now the money that they receive they is earmarked to spend very few clubs around the world uh, financially viable. One big markets that I cover is, of course, the Bundesliga, the Premier League, and uh, Major League Soccer, as you know, right? Those are the three big markets that I cover on Transfermarkt. And Bundesliga clubs are probably the most prepared for it because they have to be financially viable because they, they know the money that they earn, they goes to themselves. Um, it's not going to an owner. In other markets, it's a bit more tricky. In England, for example, in the Premier League, the money that they earn is earmarked for spending. In the championship, the division below, Clubs spend about 116% of the money that they earn. So that money is earmarked, right? So money that they're losing right now is going to hurt them significantly. What the exact impact of this is going to be is very, very, very difficult to tell. But I can tell you that if this season doesn't get finished and there's no more football, let's say for five or six months, a lot of clubs will struggle and we might even see some bankruptcies. What sort of impact do you think the clubs are going to face from the fact that the season has stopped right in the middle of proceedings? As you've said, a lot of these clubs are primed to operate on the cusp of sustainability. Is there a lot of clubs that won't survive the immediate cash flow issue? Is there a sort of time limit that they can operate for before they'll, as you said, go bankrupt? That's another one that's really difficult to say. I think that clubs can survive maybe one or two months without games. I mean, it really also depends on the league. Some leagues are more dependent on attendance numbers than others. Give you an example again, Major League Soccer, they can't survive without people in the stadium. That's why, you know, playing behind closed door is not an option. Whereas the Premier League or the Bundesliga, they can play behind closed door and they would still get the television money, right? So that would allow them to survive, but it would still mean they would lose money, which still would have a big impact on the overall football economy. One of the questions that I've wondered about, actually, is that obviously clubs have to plan for a summer break and they have to be sustainable through that summer break. Is there many clubs just forecasting this as being the summer break and then hoping that they can balance the books on the basis of that? I think that's an intriguing question. And I think that's probably maybe the hope that some of these clubs have. Okay, well, maybe this is our summer break. Premier League is a great example for this. They just extended the season indefinitely, right? We don't know when we're going to be able to play again. Let's say the season finishes in September. I think that the break between the end of this season, whenever this season ends, to and the start to the next season is going to be very short. This oh. could very well be the off-season, right? Which would allow clubs to financially survive in some ways because it would basically mean the break that everyone would happen now anyways. And I think that's also why the Premier League and other leagues will do the same. They will all extend the season indefinitely because... They cannot lose out on that television money. And if the season gets annulled or gets stopped, they will lose out on that television money. And that would mean bankruptcies, right? So I think that is pretty much what they're kind of trying to do. 
they're basically saying, okay, well, I guess this is our off season now, and they're going to treat it like this is our off season, and that's sort of maybe going to help clubs to be sustainable through this very difficult period. Of course, clubs are as much businesses in themselves as entertainment ventures these days. Euro piece in Transfer Market recently that suggested that Borussia Dortmund have seen their stocks tumble in value by around 45% since the coronavirus appeared. What sort of effect do you think the coronavirus's impact on the economy is going to have on elite clubs? Borussia Dortmund is, is a great example because yes, yeah, they lost 45% of the stock value, which means that they had a win warning come out that they had to pull back. They're not expected to run a profit this year. This would have been, I think, the fifth or sixth time in a row that the club would have run a profit, which is, in football terms, is fantastic numbers, right? There's not many clubs out there that can, can say something like that. I think Bayern and Dortmund actually of the top clubs are one of the only ones that can manage that on a regular basis. So they've basically pulled that back. Now, for Dortmund, that's not going to be a problem. They have so much money stockpiled for a scenario like that, that they're going to be able to survive. They will just have to dig into their savings. That means, of course, that maybe some of the things that they have planned for the offseason will be put on the back burner a little bit for, let's say, maybe a year. And that's going to impact, I think, the economy the most. Clubs are basically saying, okay, well, we have investments planned, but maybe those investments we're going to have to put on hold because of income that we are planning on is all of a sudden gone. On January the 31st, the transfer window will close. Join Jim, me and the whole team for all the transfer deadline day news on Sky Sports News HQ. The question on everyone's mind is going to be, how is this going to affect the summer transfer market? Do you think there'll even be one? Will clubs be unhappy committing for player sales at all? What should we expect from this downtime, as you've called it, this off-season now in terms of transfer activity? Clubs can't help themselves. <laughs> they will be transfers. I, I've actually heard from several sources that clubs are basically using this time to, to plan to work on transfers that they maybe would have normally worked on in May. They're working on now, right? And I think that they will be transfers. Now, the transfer market will look different, I think. I think there is less money to be spent. It will be a more cautious market in the past. And some of the big transfers that we were maybe hoping to see, like Jaden Sancho, Kai Havertz, Upamecano, to look at some of the players that I've been looking at, we might not see those transfers this summer. They just might not happen, you know, because clubs will say like, look, we're not going to get what we want for a certain player this summer because clubs just don't have the spending power. So let's just hang on to the assets and you will maybe see player extend their contracts with this in mind as well. Players will move. There will be transfers. Players will sign for other clubs simply because clubs cannot help themselves. Players cannot help themselves. But I think this could be a summer transfer window that's not dictated by the big name moves. It's interesting that you've mentioned Jaden Sancho there, for example. There's obviously another angle here, which is the players themselves are going to be impacted by this. So how do you think players, like you said, Jaden Sancho, a young phenom, how's he going to respond to this upheaval in the markets? Do you think it will end up having a long-term impact on his career? Well, it all depends on how long it takes, right? How long will this break take? We don't know what COVID-19 is going to do. We have very little understanding of it and we have very little understanding on how long this break is going to be. What's going to happen, for example, if players get this virus? Um, are they going to come back to full fitness? We just don't know. There's so many unknowns in this. We can maybe look back at like some other sports where there's been lockdowns. You know, NHL, for example, the National Hockey League in Canada and the United States has locked out its players over labor disputes and canceled entire seasons. The market values of players didn't really change because of, you know, they missed a year, but because of the, the changing dynamics of the economy. So I think that's really what we need to look out for. We need to look out for what's the economic impact rather than what is the impact on the individual players. Do you think this is going to make the market more efficient? I'm thinking particularly of players at the end of their careers. Do you think we'll start seeing players retiring early, players losing places at clubs because of age uncertainty and the fact that clubs have to be careful with their money? Well, it all depends. I mean, if players are under contract, clubs can't just walk away from contracts. We've seen now a case in Switzerland, Sion, where FC Sion has basically fired the entire squad, right? Whether they will get away with this legally is a very big question mark. I doubt it. I think that it's going to be very hard for, for clubs to sever existing contracts. Players that are on the cusp of the, their career, you know, if they're going to retire this summer, maybe they're not going to come back when the season comes back. There's a chance of that, right? But in the end of the day, contracts are contracts. And that is maybe perhaps the bigger question. What is going to happen with, with contracts that mm. are going to expire on June 30th, but the season runs, let's say, to October? We simply don't have an answer to that yet either. Mm. 
the football calendar obviously is rigidly cyclical and so the fact that everyone's player contract pretty much ends on June the 30th is going to be impacted here. If the current season is rearranged at a later date, then presumably a lot of players are going to be moved past their expiry dates and it will lead to problems even for players still in contract for a long time yet if the seasons have a long-term knock-on effect. So how do you think clubs are going to respond to this changing in the football calendar? Well, they will have to talk to their players. My colleague Daniel Bush from Transfermarkt, as we speak, ran a piece on Williams saying he's one of the players. And I did this piece yesterday, right, that his contract is expiring June 30th. That if this season is extended, he will stay at Chelsea and finish the season. Now, contractually, he doesn't have to. It's voluntary. And that's basically what clubs will have to talk to their players and say, look, I know your contract is up June 30th, but we're playing till September 30th. That's not a firm date. I'm just throwing that out there, right? Could you stay on until the season ends and then go into free agency then? Players don't have to do this. Clubs don't have to do it either. They could also say, okay, well, it's June 30th. Your contract is up. We don't need you to finish the season. Bye-bye. That's a reality of things. Now, FIFA could say, okay, well, we're going to make it illegal for players to move during that time period. Essentially move the transfer window back, right? That means players cannot be registered at new clubs, but it doesn't actually change the fact that the contracts are still up. So I think this will be basically a player-to-player, club-to-club kind of discussion. Players and clubs will basically have to sit down and discuss the situation and discuss this case by case. And that's going to make it for some very interesting scenarios, I think, once we get past that June 30th deadline. So do you think we'll see many of the players playing hardball with their clubs when they're trying to extend their contracts in the short term? I would like to think no. I hope that this extraordinary times means that everyone is in this together. Literally an entire planet is in this together. We all have to deal with a certain amount of uncertainty. We all have to deal with things that were unexpected to us, um, different work environments. So I expect that any decent human being is willing to change just a little bit to accommodate this extraordinary time. Does that mean that everyone will comply? I don't know. It's, it's not a question I can really answer. But I think, you know, we've seen it time and time again. Some people might. What about the free agent market? Because obviously that, that's going to be expanded as players fall out of contract. Do you think there's going to be a surprising upheaval in squad turnovers and players going elsewhere to sort of cover gaps in squads? Possibly. I think the free agent market is going to be pretty much the same as always. I mean, it also will depend what will happen to clubs, like what happens if certain clubs go bankrupt, those players will all of a sudden be free agents, right? Which then, of course, will lead to a massive deflation of the overall transfer market. The price bubble could very well burst if talent is all of a sudden available to a much larger extent. So this is another one where we're saying, like, we've just found out that the season has been extended indefinitely. We don't know when we're going to come back and what kind of health the clubs are going to be in when the football gets underway again, right? And what players are going to be available and what players are not going to be available. It's another one where we're saying, okay, this is an enormous amount of uncertainty. Have you got much of a sense from how the players themselves are responding to the possibilities thrown up by coronavirus in terms of their employment? Is there much chatter going on around the news sources? Yeah, there is quite a bit. You see a lot of players show quite a bit of solidarity. I think that's the positive. You know, the German national team, for example, donated two and a half million euros towards the fight against COVID-19, right? At Gladbach, a bunch of players decided that they're going to forfeit the salary. You read cases like that throughout the football world. The toilet paper roll challenge that you see on Twitter, for example, you know, all the players are participating. I think for now, you still have a very good sense of solidarity with the players, the clubs, knowing that this is special times. So I think the players are trying to stay as positive as they can and, you know, wait and see approach. I think that's really what you see from a lot of the players at this moment. What do you think about the unintended consequences of this fallout? Do you think we'll see players refusing to play, clubs having to resort to using youth players, for example? It will depend on what the situation is like when we come back. Christian Seifert, the CEO of the Bundesliga, said, look, at some point we'll have to start playing. We'll have to start playing, otherwise we're going to go bankrupt. And that might include what they call in German Geisterspiele, ghost games, right? Games behind closed doors. That could throw up an entire array of questions and, and that what happens if certain players don't feel safe? And what happens if we like have all of a sudden, you know, 
two months to finish 10 games. You know, that's a lot of games, just league games and Champions League, etc., etc. The turnover, the squad will be enormous. There will be a lot of more players playing and there will be some very random results. And I don't think players are necessarily going to refuse, but I think we're going to see a massive turnover in the amount of players used by different squads. Because when we come back, there will be a lot of games played in a very short period. That's going to probably be the most fascinating aspect of it. We've all got one and we're not afraid to put it. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio. Your fan station. 25-9, you are listening to the Leeds Fan Show right here on Love Sports Radio. Don't forget, we've got your team covered with Churchill Business Insurance. Yep, take the stress out of managing your van insurance with Churchill. Our comprehensive policies offer you peace of mind. 24-hour accident recovery, £500 cover for loss or damaged audio equipment, plus guaranteed repairs for five years. Visit the van page at churchill.com. Churchill is underwritten by UK Insurance Limited and Churchill Van is arranged and administered by Brightside Insurance Services Limited. It is the Leeds Fan Show with me, Joe Forrester, here on Love Sport Radio. Still here with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Um, If you've just joined us, well, where have you been? You will have just missed John chatting to Manuel Vett from Transfer Marked. Um, He's a financial expert, uh, covers the Bundesliga for Forbes among other things. Um, John, absolutely fascinating chat that you had with Manuel, uh, Manuel with, with Manuel there um, about obviously all of the financial repercussions. Well, he spoke more broadly about the economy, but particularly about uh, the way that football financially will be impacted and the impact it will have on player contracts and also something that we're very, very aware of. Clubs lower down the football structure all over the continent struggling financially and hearing an expert like that talk about it makes you realize how stark and how real the possibility of some clubs going out of business is doesn't it yeah it's crazy just even the ending of the of the interview which which we didn't actually have uh, on that clip there there's some of the the quotes that we've got from from manuel um just here's one um the world in which we live in, in is going to be a different one when we walk out of this pandemic mm. i think we'll walk into a different landscape and a different landscape will mean that the football we knew before this pandemic will be a different one afterwards and that's the i think that's the scary thing getting your head around the fact that it, it's not that we're going to come out of this pandemic and everything's going to go back to normal with a with a capital n it's going to be a completely different normal uh, we're not going to have the, the football pyramid is not going to be the same. There's going to be clubs who aren't in there anymore. There's going to be players who aren't there anymore. Um, there's going to be fans who aren't there anymore. And uh, it's just a, it's a really incredible um, state of affairs, really. It's, and, and I don't think any of us will really get our heads around it until we are there at that time and it becomes the new normal. Did you get the impression, talking to him, that the financial model around football and potentially the... I don't know, the sponsorship money and the cash first uh, fans later attitude that there might be a, a rethink in, in the psychology of football and money. Yeah, um, again, I've got another quote from him here that he talked about later on during the game. Um, he said, what it will do to our game is hard to say. Maybe it will reshuffle the board a little and maybe make football more competitive. I'm not saying, hooray, we have a pandemic, let's level the playing field, mm. but it could do that. Um, and I think that's, there's a real understanding there that um, 
when we come out of this, there's going to be an awareness that the financialization and the, the hyper-moneyed um, aspect of football is just going to be unsustainable. You cannot put that amount of money into something that is so, on the face of it, unimportant when it comes to a situation when governments just have, have let health systems fall into disrepair and, mm. and we now have this situation where we just don't have enough beds to be able to deal with this um, pandemic that we have now so there's going to have to be uh, an awareness that there's uh, a whole new um not not even just in terms of uh, our, our health care but a whole new restructuring of the economy in general we've had a, a big news announcement today from the from the um chancellor that, yeah. that um huge amounts of government money are going to go towards paying people wages who aren't working during this pandemic there's no way you can come out of this sort of um this sort of time frame and, and move into a new time and go back to that because um, people just won't have it. People will say we have to be much more aware of the fact that we live in a society, that we are dependent on one another, that the people that we didn't think were important, those people working in um, supermarkets, those people who are driving um, ordinances around here, there and everywhere, those people who are who are doing the jobs that you just don't ever see and don't ever think of, they're fundamentally important to our economy. And so, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating seeing what happens when we when we come out of this in terms of the assumption that some people deserve to get paid millions and millions of pounds in wages and other people don't deserve that at all. When, when something like this happens, you really realise that everyone in society has their important role to play. Is this an issue of, I suppose, that we all, I mean, to a much lesser extent than huge financial institutions and corporations and football clubs, we're all slightly culpable. And I know this is incredibly uh, reductive, but there is a, I suppose, a model of supply and demand of footballers command such astronomical wages and football clubs make so much money and the TV deals are so big because we all continue to watch the game and therefore supply it with money in the 1,000 ways it knows how to make money out of us. Um, so we as, as punters, as viewers, as consumers of football have perhaps prioritised that over things that are more more important. And do you think maybe that's an attitude that among us fans might change? I have a bit of a bugbear bug about this, actually, okay. because I think that the big problem here is it, it's easy to blame the fans and say, well, you know, if you weren't going along, then football would never have been able to have done this. But yeah. That we have structures of governance in place in order that uh, this sort of thing shouldn't happen. The reason why we have governments and, and why we have governing bodies is is to regulate markets and to regulate um, what, whatever's going on to make sure that we don't get that huge swing in inequality. And I think we all know that in the last couple of decades, the reason why we've ended up here isn't because people are, are the, the people in general are willing to go along with it. It's, mm. it's that governments haven't spent money on health services governments haven't stopped big corporations from being able to cream off profits when and letting little little the, the little guys just uh, lose out at the end of the day so i think I, I think i agree with your your sentiment that that we are as we as fans have to take this moment and mm. say and stamp our our own view of the game onto it a bit more we've let things go to a certain extent insofar as we haven't really raised questions about the way that the game has has gone um, and this is as good a moment as any for us to start joining um, football supporter groups yeah. and, and actually imposing our ideas on the on the ownership structures. But I'm I'm going to be very very unsympathetic when when people suggest that maybe the fans are, are almost to blame for this because I do think that it it is governments it is league Premier League sh- should have been doing that FA should have been doing that FIFA should have been doing that UEFA should have been doing that should, they should have thought about this and they've just let it get out of hand and the only way there was ever going to be that restructuring of the balance was by something terrible like this happening. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. I suppose what I'm thinking in terms of my own experience of being a football fan is that yeah. I suppose that I, uh, in a way, I think as millions of others will feel, and listening to, to Mammal talk there, I've sleptwalked into this situation yeah. and allowed myself to be exploited by those who are, um, I suppose, uh, making football an entirely uh, financial system as opposed to what it is at its heart. Uh, a game which is for the fans and representative of a particular club and a particular community. Um, look, dis- mm. listen, do check out the Football Today podcast. I'm um, at FT underscore podcast underscore on Twitter. It's absolutely fascinating uh, stuff. You can hear uh, John's full chat with, with Manuel there. Um, right, let's talk about uh, Marcello Bielsa. Okay, so you've put out an My episode. My favourite topic. Yes, of course. Of course, <laughs> everybody's favourite topic. Um, so you've put out an episode 
uh, of the show this week, of the podcast this week, looking at Marcello Bielsa's time at Leeds and the development of the team during his tenure. What would you say your takeaways are? Yeah, it's really, really interesting, actually, and I would recommend people do that. Um, listen, uh, watch back over some of the games that, that he presided over in the, at the beginning of his tenure and, uh, and compare it to now, because I think what's happened is, because last season we were so uns- unsure of what to expect, that when it was so much better than our expectations, we just thought, this is great, this is the best thing we've ever seen. But Josh and I, who, who run all stats, aren't we? We're just amazed at how much development there has been since those early games under Bielsa and, and looking at where we are now, Leeds as a, as a team, as a tactical system, have really levelled up in this season. Uh, and they've played some of the best football that we've, we've ever seen, I think, at Leeds uh, this season. But it's interesting because um, I think because we, we went from that scenario where we were sort of relegation fodder uh, the season before Bielsa arrived, we, we really enjoyed last season because there was sort of there was, wasn't really that much expectations on it. Whereas this this season we've been expected to win every game. I think the fan base has really struggled to to deal with the uh, the uh, in, intensity that that sort of brings. So yeah, it was a really fascinating uh, experience to go through. Yeah, and I suppose the the evolution of the team to a certain extent comes with putting to bed the uh, the own issues that Bielsa himself has had because there's been always been question marks over whether he works his teams too hard and runs them ragged and that was certainly the uh, the criticism of Leeds from I suppose around February last season um looking and analyzing his performances and his tactics has there been an evolution there in terms of preserving player fitness um I I think he would argue that there was a, a fitness issue last season. He's always been clear to say that um, actually we had all of the data available at our fingertips. We know when players are unfit, when they're struggling, etc. And he, I think for him, the fall off at the end of last season was was more of a psychological thing. I think he would maintain that. Um, but to ex- extend your question to sort of the tactical side of mm. things, um, the difference I think between last season and this season is that last season. He, he wasn't really very adventurous at all with his tactics. He, I don't think he trusted the team to be able to do the sorts of tactical shifts in-game that we've seen this season. And so um, last season we saw always pretty much 4-1-4-1 um, and pretty standard um, shifting in that formation to a, an attacking 3-3-1-3. But this season we've seen a lot more um, willingness to actually shift shift um, formations, shift during the game, change uh, players and, and, and get players playing some really quite complex uh, tactical positions. Um, and so I think that's partially why Leeds have been better this season because um, Bielsa has the confidence that his team just understand him tactically well enough that he can just say to them, right, we're going to do this and they do it. So, yeah, I think that comes into it a huge amount. You can find out even more about uh, the the analysis and the evolution of Marcello Bielsa's uh, tactics while at Leeds on the All Stats, aren't we? Uh, Patreon page. Right, we've got some listener questions next. Love Sport Radio, the station giving fans a voice. Good evening, you are listening to Love Sport Radio. It's the Leeds Fan Show. Remember, you can have your say at Love Sport Radio on social media. Give us a ring, 0208 70 20 558. That's also the same number if you want to send us a WhatsApp message. Um, some people have, in fact, been in touch with the show. I'm here with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Um, some ginger guy says, I'm aware it won't happen, but do you think this period would be a good time for fans to organise themselves towards demanding more influence in the game? And how would you go about doing so without games? There is nothing but time and even a more a move towards the influence that Germany's ultras uh, have would be a huge shift for the better, whilst it would also be providing a foundation for future organisation and help with mitigating the nonsense fans currently put up with at all levels. It is something John touched on earlier, actually, off the back of his uh, interview for Football Today with Manuel Veth from uh, Transfer Marks. But you were saying, John, that you think fan power is perhaps the way to go. And the German model with uh, fan ownership of clubs is potentially an interesting one to pursue here. Yeah, really interesting because I think a lot of people have seen the German model as, as sort of outdated and, and eventually passing on, um, not least because Bayern have decided that the, the model now no longer suits them and they want to be able to compete with the, the sort of hyper-capital hyper um, clubs that, that they play in the Champions League. But I think, weirdly, the, the 50 plus one rule, which means that 50% of the... Um, of the uh, of the um, owning shares have to be owned by the fans plus one vote. So mm. basically, what you're saying there is that the fans are in control of the club. There's nothing that can happen where the fans don't get a say on it. Um, actually, I think that is going to mean that German clubs will probably be quite resilient when it comes to um, the 
the situation that um, we're facing now. Um, clubs haven't really been able to get into huge amounts of debt, um, and the, the, the fans have always had a say in, in which way the, the, the direction of the club goes. So it should be interesting. As a point um, that Manu mentioned in the in the conversation we had was um, that the championship clubs spend 116% of the money that they they get in every season in terms of revenue. That's just not sustainable. Um, so I, I do think Germany and, and the, the, the fan approach is probably the best way to go. But yeah, again, I just reiterate my advice in the, in the previous section where I said we need to join supporters clubs. We need to yeah. get involved in the in the actual running of clubs and, and have our voices heard. And it may feel as though a lot of the time in this society that we've grown up in, that we spend our time involved in democratic processes which don't really make any difference at all but i think joining um your 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 club's um supporters trust or whatever will will mean that actually we'll we'll be able to have a much more of an impact i think going forwards because i think there is going to be a realization that actually you have to take care uh, care of individuals you can't just talk about uh, people with money it's going to be the people at the bottom who are just as important to to getting everything going so yeah join join your local your world join your your the club that you support supporters club would be uh, my my advice yeah and i think it's excellent advice as well it's interesting actually i was on with the guys from uh, afc wimbledon last night and we were talking Ooh. about um the move away from king's meadow and of course plow lane and whenever they do get into the new plow lane although the stadium uh, is still being built that hasn't stopped due to the uh, current crisis and the level of emotional investment and also i must say contentedness that they feel with their club and the direction their club has taken is is really very plain to see and actually quite inspiring. Now, obviously, the worst thing that can happen in the context of being a football fan and supporting a football club happened to them in the sense that their club was ripped away from them. But from those ashes, they were forced to rebuild a club from the ground and they have ownership of it in the truest sense. Every fan feels personally, emotionally, um, and in some cases financially, invested in the club and win or lose or succeed or or fail they do it on their own terms and I think uh, that balance could could certainly do with as as you said John being returned to football to some extent yeah I think what's going to be really interesting is is seeing what impact the the this pandemic has on the the amounts of money that are in the game I think one of the things that we talked about in in the interview with Manu was how football's value all re- it, it all relies on the fact that these players are going to be playing. Um, uh, Lionel Messi is worth what Lionel Messi is worth because he can do something on a football pitch, which is great when football is being played. As soon as football doesn't play for a year, what's the, what's the actual value of that football club? It's absolutely nowhere near what sort of valuation you'd expect it to be, and so you end up realizing actually the whole notion of value that football is built on. Is, is is nothing but smoke and mirrors, really. And that's the scary thing. So I think what's going to happen when we come out of this is that there's just going to be a resetting of, of, the, of, the, of the mad capitalisation that's happened in football. And it will mean everything is, I think, a lot more affordable in, in many respects. So clubs like AFC Wimbledon, it's going to be really interesting to see how they do because suddenly they'll be in control of their club. Their club will be, um, will be running at a, at a much more um, efficient rate than other clubs. And you never know, that could, we could start seeing clubs like that that are fan-owned actually becoming a bit more of a, of a player in the, in the football market. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's obviously this idea that's been touted about potentially the richest clubs, so in the UK, that being the, the Premier League, uh, helping the clubs, particularly in League One and League Two and, and yeah. further down the, the football pyramid. Do you think that the Premier League will um, allow any of its wealth to go to helping some of those clubs survive? I don't know if they'll allow it, but it would be great to see um, them forced to do that. And we know that this week a £17 million bailout was proposed by the teams in the 68 teams in the National League. Mm. Um, and you just, it just boggles the mind to think that 68 uh, teams in, in, in the footballing pyramid um, could actually be run successfully for this time yeah. on just £17 million, which is what... A, Sort of a sort of up and coming starlet, maybe moving from a lower Premier League division to a to a mid table one. Um, but yeah, let's hope that that something happens where there is a redressing of the balance. It's been great to see some of the um, players, that, particularly again German clubs. I know that uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach players have, are not taking a salary while the football's not being played. Um, and there's been a couple of, uh, of of German footballers who've set up various coronavirus um, charity um, outposts during this time as well. So it would be really good to see football being 
uh, used as a, as a force for good and those players realising actually that um, they have a huge uh, role of responsibility in, in helping out here. Uh, these are unprecedented times and I think it calls, it calls for unprecedented attitudes with respect to other human beings. Let's, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's beautifully put. Let's, let's just finally bring it back uh, to the football and to Leeds on the pitch. Um, one last fan question. Billy Reid says, if this season doesn't finish, and I suppose given what's happened, he means doesn't finish soon. Do you think there's any chance that Bielsa stays? Yeah, it's a very difficult one to know. And it's, I mean, it's hard enough to talk about whether or not Bielsa would stay on. It seems crazy, right? But even stay on were this season to finish soon. Um, he's a, he's an interesting chap. He um, he's he's never managed a club for longer than two seasons um, in a row, so he would already be going beyond his his longest tenure at, at any club. Um, it's it's crazy to think with his with his storied career that he's actually um, only about ten games off um, his his longest stint at a club <laughs> ever. So yeah, it's hard to know um, what what he would do. But yeah, I think he probably will stay. Um, we, we hope he will because he's turned Leeds around and we wouldn't be where we are without him. Um, hey, listen, John, it's it's been genuinely, absolutely fascinating talking to you this evening. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. So that's uh, John McKenzie there from All Stats, aren't we? Um, it's the Leeds fan show. Look, so much to digest and think about after that Leeds fan show. And and Leeds fans, obviously, we, we, we talk about your club a lot, but I think just chatting to John... Um, there's so much other stuff in in the world of football uh, to consider here. His his chat with Manuel Vett from Transfer Marked, um, the impact that there's going to be on player contracts, sponsorship deals, potentially clubs lower down the football structure folding. Um, could this be the end of the current financial model in football and a move towards? Uh, more fan involvement and more fan power and fans having more agency within the game. Um, Really, really fascinating stuff. Thank you to the listeners who sent in uh, questions as well. Right, uh, you are listening to Love Sport Radio. This is, of course, the time when fans have their say. And coming up in a few minutes' time, we've got the Cardiff Fan Show. This is Love Sport. For downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.